some months ago, in fact, it was in August of 2018, I received a phone call one evening from a pastor friend of mine that lives in another state. Uh, I, this pastor knew that I knew and know his family members very, very well and close to them. And he said, Christian, Brother Christian, I want you to pray. Uh, and he mentioned the name of his cousin, his little cousin. She at the time was um, around four years old, three or four. Uh, her name was Georgia May. He said, Christian, pray because Georgia May has been diagnosed with leukemia and uh, cancer. And uh, she is in desperate need of the touch of the Lord. And uh, I received that phone call on that Friday evening, as a matter of fact. And so in August of 2018, uh, I, along with literally tens and became hundreds of thousands of people, began to pray. Our church family began to pray for Georgia May. Well, the Lord in His sovereign plan this past March, one day shy of Georgia May's sixth birthday, the Lord took her home to heaven. Her granddaddy, who's a personal friend of mine, he preached her funeral. And in a very vulnerable moment, her granddaddy, Georgia May's granddaddy, he said something that really spoke deeply into my soul. And I want to quote what he said. He said, Georgia believed in the God of miracles. And listen, and I did too. Until he didn't do the one miracle that I wanted. I would later learn, he said, that as Georgia's prognosis kept getting dimmer, so did my faith. I discovered, he said, that my faith was good only because my life was good. And when life got tougher, I struggled. And then he said these words. He said, I learned that my faith was thinner than I thought. My faith was thinner than I thought. In John chapter 20, the disciples are gathered in a room and all of them, all of them have seen Jesus alive except one. That was Thomas. And when they told Thomas that Jesus was alive, he refused to believe them. And Thomas's thin faith was exposed. I want you to notice uh, verse 24 of John chapter 20. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said unto him, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, or inside a room, and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, <laughs> the doors being shut, and Jesus stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he directly 
to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold, Thomas, my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but be believing. And Thomas answered and said unto Jesus, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. But blessed are those that have not seen, and yet they believe. He's called Thomas Didymus. Didymus is the surname, or what we would call the last name. Almost, and some say that it was a, even uh, like a nickname, a way to identify Thomas. Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus. Didymus means twin or a double. And it is believed that Thomas had a twin. Some even say that Thomas's twin was part of the apostolic band. We did not know that for sure. Thomas, in verse 24, was not with them when Jesus came on the Sunday night before. Who was Thomas? Well, you know Thomas was one of the twelve. That's how he is identified uh, as here in verse 24. Christ had clearly told them on multiple occasions that he was going to be crucified and that he was going to rise from the dead. We know in Matthew 16, Matthew 17, Matthew 20, and then all through the other Gospels, Jesus plainly stated that he would be betrayed, he'd be crucified, and yet he would rise again. He wouldn't stay dead. There are three possibilities as to why Thomas didn't believe and why Thomas doubted. Well, one possibility uh, is that uh, he wasn't present when Jesus stated this. Well, we know that's false. Uh, He was there. (laughs) One possibility is that he didn't hear Jesus clearly. Well, we believe that's false too. And then the third possibility, and I'm I'm afraid this is the exact truth, is that he just didn't believe Christ's words. Where was Thomas when Jesus appeared the first time? Well, we don't know where he was. Why wasn't he with the disciples on Easter Sunday? Well, very well, it could have been because he was absent due to his doubt. You see, it's very easy for you and I to pile on Thomas for doubting the Lord. We say, man, how how could Thomas not believe Jesus? How could Thomas doubt the Lord? But the truth is, Thomas is not the only saint to ever struggle with doubt. Ladies and gentlemen, surely in this season of our lives, if it has taught us anything, it has taught us that there are many Christians that are struggling, even tonight, with doubt. Far too often when I look at Thomas in this passage, I not only see Thomas, I see Christian. And so tonight and next Sunday night, I want to talk to us on Doubting Thomas and Doubting Christian. As I understand it in the Bible, there are at least four kinds of doubt that all of us deal with. 
There is uh, taught in Scripture the concept of doubt as being a lack of faith. We see this in Mark chapter 9 when the dad brought the lunatic son to Jesus. Uh, He cried out to Jesus and he said, Lord, help my unbelief. Help my lack of faith. Help my doubt, my lack of faith. Also in Scripture, doubt is seen and viewed and described as double-mindedness. Listen to Mark 14 uh, as, as, as it's used that way uh, as when Peter was sinking in the waves and he was double-minded and distracted. We see, uh, number three, doubt as earnest questioning. We see this in John chapter 3 with the Pharisee Nicodemus who had legitimate serious questions for the Lord Jesus. But then we see doubt as blind skepticism, as in Mark chapter 8 with the Pharisees. Truth is, as we look at these four types, different kinds of doubt described in the New Testament, it very well could be that Thomas was dealing with shades of all four different kinds. Perhaps his hurt and his disappointment over the crucifixion of Jesus facilitated his doubt as it does so often in our lives. So tonight, let me give you just two truths that we learn in the passage about doubt. Truth number one is that doubt is a refusal to believe the clear Word of God. Notice verse 25 uh, in the text The other disciples therefore said unto Thomas, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. So they flat out say, Thomas, we want you to understand, we've seen Jesus. He showed up. We were able to see Him. We touched Him. We saw Him. We heard Him speak. We heard His voice. And Thomas said, "Hey, uh, no, no, no. Except I see His hands and except uh, uh, I put my finger uh, into the print of the nails, uh, I will not believe. He didn't say, I don't believe. He was more deliberate than that. He said, I will not. In other words, what Thomas was saying is, I refuse to believe unless I can see Him for myself. See, doubt is a refusal to believe the clearly revealed word of truth. It is being, literally, it's being faithless. In verse 27, uh, uh, Jesus said, Hey, be not faithless, Thomas, but be believing. You be believing. Don't be someone who is governed by, not just characterized by, but governed by a lack of faith and a lack of doubt. Verse 25, the other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said, Except I see in his hands the print of the nail, and I put my finger in the print of the nails, and I thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas is saying, Except I see and touch Jesus for myself, I'm not going to believe it. See, Thomas's words here reveal a strong refusal. Ladies and gentlemen, doubt is nothing more than refusing to take God at His Word. And I want you to pause just a moment, dear friend. Think about all the promises of Scripture. Paul said all the promises of Scripture, all the promises of God are yes and amen. In other words, they're as good as done. You can count on every promise that he's ever made. 
Think about this book that I hold in my hand, that book you have in your lap. God's book, the Bible. How many precious promises has He made to every single one of us? Yes, I know in Scripture there are things that God stated where the promise was just specific to that particular group. But oh, dear friend, how many general promises in the Word are there? Promises to us as His children. Promises to take care of us. Promises, uh, as we talked about last Sunday, uh, God's promise to provide. God's, God's promise to lead. God's promise to protect. God's promise to deliver. God's promise to never forsake, never abandon us. God's promise to deliver us if we're looking for the way of escape out of every single sinful temptation. God says, I want you to know, I've made you some promises. Thank God those promises are contained right here in the Bible. But doubt is just a clear refusal to embrace and to hang on to and to believe God's Word. God's promises. I think about there in Genesis 3, we see the very seeds of this. When the serpent came to Eve and questions Eve as to why she hasn't uh, partaken of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, and she tells the serpent that God said that you could eat of every tree of the garden except that one. And then she goes a step beyond and says, well, God said if we touch it, we're going to die. Well, the Lord didn't say that. And so the serpent looks back at Eve. Satan, through the serpent, says, Now, has God really said? Hath God said? Did the Lord really say that? And if He did, did He really mean that? Even in the garden, the dawn of creation, we see that God's arch enemy and our arch enemy and the hater of our souls, the hater of mankind, the enemy of the soul was already at work undermining the credibility of God's authority as revealed in His Word. Ladies and gentlemen, let's be very, very careful through the power of God and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we never undermine the integrity of Scripture. Not just on a, 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 a purely philosophical level, but on a practical level, on a personal level. This is God's book. This is God's Word. And it's for you. It's for me. Paul said in Second. Timothy chapter 3, that all of Scripture, every single word is given by the inspiration of God and it's profitable. That means it is for you by the Lord. I love the fact that this is God's love letter to you and I. And all, ladies and gentlemen, Thomas doubted because he just simply refused to take Jesus at His word. Doubt is nothing more than refusing to claim and believe and take the Word of God at face value. Dear friend, I want you to hear my heart tonight. Now is no time to undermine Scripture. Now is no time to discredit Scripture. And I'm thankful that if you and I have legitimate doubts about the veracity of the Word, 
the legitimacy of Scripture. I'm thankful that that unequivocally there are are that it's. I mean, man, we can have discussions and we can have dialogue about having these doubts answered. And praise God, these doubts can be obliterated beyond the shadow of any doubt. I'm thankful that I, I'm not scared uh, to to place the Bible under scrutiny. But. Most of us watching tonight, the vast majority of us, that's not the doubt we struggle with. We don't struggle with intellectual doubt. We struggle with experiential doubt. We, 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 we struggle with, okay, I know God said this, and in my head, in my head, I know this is true. But in my heart, in my soul, in my life, I'm struggling to rest in it. You see, I can bring a chair up here and, and sit it right behind me. And, 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 and if you were to say, hey, Christian, do you believe, do you believe that chair will hold you up? Well, yeah. Yeah, I believe that chair is going to hold me up. Okay, sit in it. Well, wait a minute now. <laughs> That's another story. You see, there's a difference in me standing up here telling you, yes, I, I, I feel confident that that chair can hold me up. Well, I don't really believe that unless I'm willing to sit down and let that chair bear my weight. And I want you to know tonight, and I know so many of you, so many of us, we believe up here. If I were to ask you, hey, do you believe God's Word? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Brother Chris, I believe the Bible. I believe God's Word. I believe Scripture. Are you believing it enough to rest your mind, to rest your heart, to rest your spirit? Are you letting the Word of God dwell in you richly and be that referee that can determine and dictate the peace and serenity that God wants to give us? You see, Thomas's problem was not necessarily a head problem. Thomas's problem was literally in his spirit and heart. He refused to believe what Jesus had already clearly said. And then I close tonight with this statement. I want you to listen very carefully. Not only is doubt a refusal to just believe God's clear word, do you know that doubt robs us of blessings that God intends for us to enjoy and for us to experience? Doubt is a thief. Doubt is a robber. Thomas being absent from the body, Thomas being absent from the group and the fellowship of the other apostles when Jesus showed up, God had intended for Thomas as well as the others in the group to be refreshed and, 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 and fortified by Christ being in their midst. What a blessing! Do you not think that that helped the other apostles? Sure it did. Absolutely. In fact, they were so elated that when Thomas showed back up, the first words out of their mouth, Thomas, dude, you're not going to believe. You missed it, homie. Jesus was here. You, you should have been here. Oh, think about the blessing that Christ's presence was to those men. And it, Thomas missed it. Thomas's doubt, he's called Doubting Thomas. Doubt robbed him of that whole week living in victory. 
That whole week living in assurance just like the other apostles. You see, his doubt, his refusal to believe robbed him of the peace and blessing experienced by the others for several days. That's why he didn't show up the first time. Because he allowed his doubt to override his faith. And he missed some precious blessings that God had in store. Alexander McLaren said, Thomas did the very worst thing that a melancholy man can do. (laughs) He went away to brood in a corner by himself and to hug his despair. By separating himself, he said, from his fellow believers and fellow brothers in Christ. Therefore, he lost exactly what they had received, being able to see the Lord. Oh, how many times, dear friend, do we allow our doubt, our spiritual doubt, and that battle that rages within our spirit so often, we let it rob us of peace and assurance and certainty of the power of God, the victory of God, the hand of God in our lives. So tonight as we pause and as we pray, as we get ready for part two next Sunday night, I want you to tune in. I want to close by asking you a question. I started out by quoting my dear friend who said that as he and his family went through this struggle, the longer they went through it, the thinner his faith became. How thin is your faith? How broad, how strong, how thick is your faith tonight? I know this. Many of us regarding a certain situation, we have to confess just like the dad to Jesus. Lord, I believe, I really do believe but I need you to help my unbelief. And I want to say praise His glorious name that when you and I confess, Lord, I love you and I believe you and I trust you, but boy, I'm struggling. I need your help. I promise you, Jesus, just like that, will come to your aid and come to where you are. And He, in His presence alone, just as He did here with Thomas, His presence helps our unbelief. Let's pray together. Our Father, would You saturate our hearts and minds with the truth of Your Word and Your very presence and give us a great week as we live for You and walk in Your fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.